0: Man, welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 424.5. But listen closely, this is not a typical 0.5. There will be a free first hour, there will be a member second hour. Again, we have been forced to do the naming in this way to insert an episode in the stack because we have so many stacked up. It would be months before some things can run. Anyhow, Jason Lingren is with me, and Owen Benjamin is with me. Welcome, Jason.
1: And good morning.
0: All right. Welcome aboard whatever ship this is, Owen. It's great to be on your ship. (laughs) We all have ownership here, but we don't own a damn thing. (laughs) I love it. So here's my idea. I don't know. We had chatted back and forth and uh, I can't. Oh, it was some other bears that are, well, they're everywhere. (laughs) I can't even keep track of how many there are. What I was thinking is we could cover What the bear community is doing now, for those who have kept up, you'll remember some guests have said things like the only way to get through what's coming is to form the new Jerusalem, which is basically an idea of community. It sounds a little biblical (laughs) because it is, (laughs) but the point is what we're talking about when people say these things is creating community. And so how do you feel about that? Owen? do you want to talk about basically how the bears, what you're building, what they're doing with each other and that kind of
2: thing? Yeah, I love that. I love that because it's it, it really did get to a point where I felt like um, complaining about the status quo or trying to get people that I now consider psychopathic to change felt very, it almost felt like a weird, uh, what's that channel? Like a Hallmark? Or no, what's that channel that has like female dramas on it? <laughs>
0: uh, the, the, the
1: woman's channel? Uh, yeah, like a call. woman's
2: channel thing where it's like, why won't you change, Gary?
1: Isn't that the Lifetime channel?
2: And I'm like, dude, Twitter isn't going to change. Twitter doesn't want to change. YouTube doesn't want to change. So it's like me and a lot of other people just started thinking, well, why don't we just build this stuff? And we do live in a free will realm. So my will is just as valid as Jack Dorsey's will or Elon Musk's will. So it's like, why don't we just start building stuff? And then the decentralized nature of Bertaria, because I'm not a natural alpha. I know it appears like I am, but, I don't have that strong desire to rule people. So that's actually turned out to be a blessing because it's so decentralized and it's so all about local meetups and people doing their own thing that it's become this very fruitful um, experience for people.
0: So just so folks know, Owen's been on two times previous. That was episode 267. And episode three hundred and fifty-eight. Thank you, Rose. But Jason, how many times have we been doing an episode where um, someone's in the bear community and they said we did this, we did that, we did the other thing? Uh, yeah. it's been it's been across the board. And basically, we just did another one on iboga, dealing with addiction, which is one of the three tertiary backbreaking issues of our time. Uh, yeah. Most of it from the pharmaceuticals. So uh, he he was telling me. And the only reason I'm bringing that up, and actually we're an hour one, so I can't say what I'm gonna say because this goes out in the public. The point is we're talking about things you can't get your hands on, but there's a community out there if you can put one and one together there I mean normally, you can't get your hands on these things if you follow the hint
2: <laughs> yeah it's re- it's really cool to hear people on your show bring up the app and and all the stuff that we're doing because yeah, it's uh the the Bertari Times app, and I know Jason's been to some meetups. It's uh, it's really cool. It's just, it's not cortisol inducing. It's not, it's actually very censored because what we wanted to do with the app is to have the world that we would want to live in, not just fight against the beast. And so it isn't a place to like, you know, freak out about the newest PSYOP or politics or who's a shill or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, the good, the true, the beautiful. Instead of like, the hill to die on. It's the hill to grow on. You know, we, we wanted to invert the inversion and it's been very successful because people can be sad or depressed or anxious, or they don't know what's going on in the world. And you just go on Bertaria times and uh, you just see all these babies being born and gardens being grown and, and just, just this hopeful existence that isn't being represented and or represented. And so much of this cortisol inducing stress hormone factory that we have With so many different variations of media.
0: So, you said a bunch of things. I want to come back. I want to learn about the app and I want a good definition laid down on the record about what is Bertaria Times. But you said some things about shills. Yeah. I've met people now that I never would have met in a million years. Some of them are very high up in our world and they can tell you, they know literally some of the people pulling the strings. And I always say, I don't care just because I know their names, nothing has been changed other than I could go waste five hours on a search engine, trying to figure out stuff about them, people that I'll never meet or never have any influence over, or I can get off my ass and do something. So this whole shill complaining, it's for losers.
2: It totally is.
0: Yeah. I don't want to be so blunt, but I'm, I'm done. You know, if you come onto my site and you start saying things like shill or he's a I'm done. Totally I'm not, done. I'm, I'm not even going to read what you're writing because you need to
2: grow the hell up. What's going on here is each of us have to make decisions now. I was going to make the Bertarian guidestones because all these people are, are freaking out about the Georgia guidestones. I'm like, let's make our own guidestones, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Like, just what do we want to say? And so many of these people had never thought what do I even want to say? They just were so mad at what someone else is saying. And I'm like, let's actually build. And and as far as what you're saying about the show stuff, I've been contacted. There's, I mean, I can now talk about it because so much time has passed and no one could put together who these people are, but there's been agencies and different groups that have been uh, assigned to monitor me. And a lot of them have become bears where they're like, they've emailed me after like, Oh, I'm an analyst. I was supposed to Watch your show, and I love what you're doing, man. Can I be like, you know, deep state bear? I mean, I'm just making that up, but <laughs> can I be crossover bear? The proof yeah, is yeah, in totally. the pudding, sir. <laughs> yeah, can I be can I be Fed bear? <laughs> because they're just they're just men and women. They're not if there isn't some special says like these people are still going to have to eat. You know, there's bears that were part of actual psyops in other countries, and when they saw that they were doing it here, they were like, oh no you know, like there's bears that were working in, uh, intelligence agencies in the nineties in like Kosovo. And, and, and cause most of what these people do is very, is very analysty. It's more like Dilbert than it is, you know, 007. And so they influence media and they try to change public perception based on, uh, some form of operation. And then they start seeing it in America and, you know, they have to live here too. It's like, they're, they're just, people. And so a lot of times when people are like, oh, I have actual proof that this person's a shill. I'm like, well, we're all kind of if, if we use fiat currency, we're all part of it on some level, you know?
0: Well, if we use if we use goods and services at this point, who knew 20 years ago that using goods and services had this underlying dark side that is now poked at setup. But let's let's circle back on the app so we can tell people what it is, where they can get it. Um these are community building things. Here's the problem Jason and I had we met a dude kind of a sketchy dude who said, I love what you're doing. I'll help you make an app. So we get this app made and come to find out all these complaints start coming in. These dudes are collecting all our data. So I contact the app authorities and I'm not even kidding. And I said, quit collecting data. And they said, we'd be happy to for a monthly fee. And I said, okay, screw you. I'm going to delete that app. And so for a few months, people were pissed off because they'd gotten this app. But the point was we couldn't get them to quit tracking everybody's everything without paying for it. So talk a little bit about your app. What is it? What does it do? And all this. And I know I don't even have to ask how you got it because your community is so
2: massive. Yeah, com. It's uh it's social media for bears and it's really and we don't collect data or anything like that. And um, and the funny thing is, is it I don't even know if anyone would want our data because it's not. it's so interesting. It's like data is, uh, is this weird, creepy thing used to, to sell people indulgences. And since that's not really what we're doing, it wouldn't even make any sense. It's like, you can't run ads on Bertari times. You can't even do anything. It's not like someone could track someone's data and try and sell them a bidet or something, you know, there's no ads. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's 15 bucks for the whole year, which is, uh, the cheapest we could possibly make it, well, we can pay for our own service providers and servers and moderators and all kinds of uh, stuff that we do on there. And so we we tried to make it so cheap that uh, that wouldn't be a deterrent. And uh, yeah, it's just a really cool place to meet people. And, and I, cause, cause a lot of people talk about community but they don't have these uh, like call to action. So I really wanted to make call to actions. And one of them was no 10 people within 10 miles and so it's just that so i really wanted that i'm like so we started a map where you could find other bears uh, on a map and and you're as much information as you want to share or as least you could just say i live within 50 miles of this you know this landmark or you can say i run a herbal you know an herbal store on this street you know it's whatever you wanted and then people would just start hanging out they could meet at a park they could do anything and then they they'd start building their own supply chains. And that was another one of my um, my things early on is four or five years ago when people said I went uh, crazy and ran into the woods and got goats, no one's calling me crazy anymore now that people are seeing what's happening with the food uh, supply. And so uh, one of the really good things that's coming from the bear community is a decentralized ability to get eggs, milk, cheese, vegetables, you know, and so that's, um, you know, the, the meek shall inherit at the earth, I think is uh, pretty, pretty true. This is why
0: I'm all about what you're doing. For a long time, I would get all these emails. Oh, it's cultish. The bears are cultish. The bears are this, the bears are that. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this show, uh, <laughs> because often that email reply, and you're lucky if you get a reply from me because I see hundreds of them a day, is, well, what are you doing? And so what I just heard is you have as decentralized as you can be communication that might start to mirror social media, but here's the thing. Those people can live somewhere and say, hey, I've got this problem. Are there any others in this community that can help me out? And I don't even need to hear the response because we've interviewed enough people that have flat out said the bear community stepped up and helped me. The food thing, the food thing is a big damn deal. And though most of us don't know it yet, these are control systems. As a matter of fact, what we're talking about in an app or a paper or any of the things that are associated with your pretty damn big community is <clears throat> goods and services have now clicked over to become a tro- control mechanism. For those of you that don't know, when you go get your driver's license, which we've all done our whole life, right? Oh, it's it's my right. Well, actually, it's not. It's a privilege according to the state you're in. But the point is, everyone gets a driver's license. One of the top questions is, are you an American citizen or a United States citizen? You check yes there and You're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you, but it's true. The Constitution no longer applies to you. The Bill of Rights doesn't. I mean, it goes on and on and on how this fiction, this fictional nonsense in their minds has reclassified you. The point is, this is all out in the open now. So what's going on here is a large group of people who all have talents and let's call it goods and services at their own level are helping each other. This is the only way out of what's coming. If they choose to go the distance, all goods and services are going to have a hell-bent cost.
2: Yeah. And and let me address the the cult thing. It's actually completely inverted because if you just look at any college and you and you ask, what is a cult? And it's like, okay, you go, you bring uh, late teens into an area where they have no family, friends, nobody. They're basically anonymous. You stack them in bunks in a giant building, you <laughs> put them in unpayable debt. You tell them lies, you make them, you give them poison water so they lose their inhibitions and make horrible mistakes. You know, if they get into the frat world, it's like they're they're known by a Greek letter. They're losing identity, they're being hazed, they're and then they leave with a hundred thousand dollars in debt. They're 23, they their minds are all messed up. And then if you look at the bear community, you know, $15 a year and nobody and, and it's just people exchanging eggs and jokes. It's like what, what what we're witnessing is actually a biblical inversion where it's uh, you know, woe is uh, I can't remember the exact line, but it's like something about uh, people who call hot, cold and bitter, sweet. And it, it's like marriage is slavery, but yet debt slavery in a city with a cat and a pill addiction is freedom. It's like a cult implies coercion and it implies a uh, brainwashing, which are two things that doesn't happen at all in my community. In fact, I'm kind of, uh, well, it's all, it's all free choice, Owen. There it is right there. It's super helpful. It's super
0: decentralized free choice,
2: totally decentralized. And ironically, I always, I'm like more apt to kick people out than to try and keep people in. Like if people act up in the chat, I'm like, ah, you're banned. No cult leader does that. Like no cult leader has ever been like, ah, I don't want you here anymore. (laughs) Because if somebody's in there all caps talking about shills and CIAs and everyone's gonna die or whatever, I'm like, yeah, no. And a and a cult would try and like keep you from your family. I'm trying to help people get families. I'm like, you know, the 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 app is has been fundamental for a lot of people finding husbands and wives and businesses and stuff where they actually empower their lives and they don't require the actual cult, which is the goods and services, the college, the all the things that you're, you're talking about. It's like, okay, we're not going to tell you what's in this neat. I know this is our one, but you know about the medical procedure and it's like, it's mystery juice and you have to do it or else you're out of our cult. It's like, that's an actual cult. I'm trying to get people to uh, have communities where they Good can point. exchange tomatoes with nutrition in them. Cause you know, cause I don't think there's going to be no food in the shelves. It's just going to be void. That's why I like listen to your uh, streams with that British guy who loves magnesium. Clive. Clive. Yeah. It's like so much, the famine is going to be nutritional. It's not going to be that you can't get food. It's just going to be food that's empty of any nutrition. And when you grow food yourself and, or, and you don't even have to grow food yourself. You just have to know someone who does. That's the beauty of community. Like I can't fix a car. I have no idea how an engine works. Like I'm completely, uh, you know, I'm in diapers when it comes to any kind of mechanical work. So let's say someone (laughs) knows that. too. (laughs) Yeah. Let's say, like, I don't know what a carburetor does, like zero idea.
0: (laughs) I have to ask my wife.
2: Yeah, yeah. My wife is more mechanically inclined than me. Me And so if there was someone that knew that, I would give them cheese. It's that's (laughs) We're just we're redefining what a community and economy is from the ground up. And it's 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 actually super fun. It's not scary when you realize how much how many resources there are in the world for free, you know?
0: Well, I'm going to get Jason in a minute because I know he follows everything that goes on in the world way. as a matter of fact, I don't know what's happened in the world unless Jason or Rose email me. Well, another thing that occurred to me in the neighborhood where I am, my parents' generation, my parents are both gone now, but there are others that are of that generation. And I can't even count how many of them are alone. A woman two doors down pushing 90, she's alone. The other day I go to the bank, there was the tiniest, cutest little old lady I'd ever seen. in my life. She was like four, eight. She was so tiny and she was crying. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, I can't get the seat to go back in my car. And I'm starting to go, oh my God, I don't think you should be driving. I'm having all these thoughts. So I give her a big yeah. hug, calm her down. And she launches into this story and she tells me, I live on this lane. I was born in the house I lived in and I've never left it. And she, and so I'm of the opinion she's alone. So I go into the bank. Turns out there were other people and the bank knew what to do to do it. But with community, how many people out there are living with, you know, if something happens to you in your city, do you have a phone number to call for help that someone you know? and see that's where a big part of this community comes in but i'm going to let jason jump in, in a moment but what is bertaria times
2: yeah i mean it's also a magazine so bertaria times is fundamentally it's what we want media to be so i was being a little too defined by what i hated <laughs> and and i think that when you hate something you actually create a little void and you and you become that and so i was just really Upset at at how Twitter treated me or YouTube or all that, so I'm like, so what would media be if it was good? And so we have we d- we're now sending out our second magazine, and it's all written by bears. You know, it's like uh, grounded extracts would have an article in there about you know herbal healing, or somebody else would have an article about how to uh, skin a rabbit, or how to you know uh, filter water. Like uh Christopher Gardner had an article about how to build a dome out of mud. You know, and it's. And that's pretty much what Bertari Times is. It's just a magazine. It's almost like FUBU, remember, For Us, By Us, you know, back in the day. It's like media for us, by us. And so uh, that's really what it is. And what you were just talking about, community, I find myself watching a lot of videos out of Africa. And it's interesting because I used to think that these people were so primitive and Who would want to live like that? But in reality, they're much more, not all of Africa, obviously some areas are nightmares, but there's a lot higher mental health because of community in a lot of African areas. And I was just watching this video about this uh, this slum in Nigeria, and there's like no crime because any criminal can be identified and exiled. They have a chief. Everybody is like always watching out for each other's kids. They don't have very much material. Possessions at all, but there's way, way higher accountability, higher mental health. And in the West, in the West, and I was noticing in the comments section that everyone's like, oh, I I didn't realize how good we had it because these people are, you know, living next to their own sewage and it's like they're in shanties and all this. And I felt the exact opposite. I was like, I'm obviously thankful for plumbing. I'm thankful for our Western way of life, but how amazing would it be if you could be in a place where A baby or a toddler, like they were never ever uh, more than five feet away from someone in their family, and they could just play. and And everybody was accountable, and there wasn't, there isn't the crime that people think. And one of the reasons I think that Africans get a bad rap is because the exiled will then go to another country, and then the other country says, "Oh, these people are all criminals," but in reality, it was these tight knit communities are like, "You're not allowed to be here if you're a criminal." And so then they go to other areas. And I I just found that really interesting that, yeah, that that being alone, being isolated is what's driving this pharmaceutical demand because depression, anxiety, a lot of these things don't exist, even in abject poverty. If you have family, if you have community, if you have people that you can talk to and interact with and your children can be watched by. And so that's why it's uh, one thing I wanted to do with Bertari is get people in a way where they have more of that. Because
1: I think our mental health depends on community. You know, throughout the 20th century, the social engineering they put in place created the problem that we have today. Back in the day, a lot of times a newly married couple would stay with one or the other side's parents till they got on their feet. That's almost unheard of now. Everyone's forced to go out and get an apartment and work their asses off and pay for this, that, and the other thing. That's not the way we really need to be living, I don't think.
2: Exactly, dude like I'm, I'm already planning on how to have multi-generational on my property. And like the guy that fixed my, um, my lawnmower yesterday, he's from the area, a lot of locals from North Idaho. And he's like, we used to haul our own water out of a Creek. And he's like, I just went to a family reunion of a hundred people. He's like, nobody got cancer. Like there was no cancer. It's like, they hauled their own water. They, they ate only what was from the land. Like they were almost Aboriginal in a sense. It's like, uh, and the guy was so cool. Just this old dude, healthy as a whip, just fixing my lawnmower. And we just hung out and talked for a half hour, hour. And and just that it exists in America. It's like this, this idea of the separation between the Caucasian Western man and Aboriginal behavior isn't actually true. That, that a lot of Americana was... You know, hauling water, splitting firewood, living in an incredibly extended family, living off the land, uh, understanding the stars and the sky clock and stuff like that, that isn't that far away. It's like the 1920s, 1930s rural America lived like that. And so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to elements of this collapse because uh, I think if people won't choose the right path, sometimes it's forced upon them.
1: You know, the whole uh, cancer thing is one of the things that drives me insane that I can't believe people don't, they they don't put it together. I'm 49. When I was growing up, I never heard about anyone having cancer. It's all because of the crap in the food, the water. It's all these things. Cancer was barely a blip. Yeah. And I'm sure Crow, who's 10 years older than me, he could say the same thing even more so
0: it was lung cancer was the only really kind of cancer you heard about. It was directly related to smoking. And the other thing is based on the guests we've had. And even I was talking with fortune who actually was there a long time ago. And he said before inoculations um, inoculations is one of the things that made it up. And then we had Clive DeCarl, Carl who you mentioned, and he tells this tale. I don't remember Jason. Was it India? I want to say it's India. It might've been Africa. There was large, countrywide communities that never were getting cancer. But as soon as they left, I think it was India, they started getting cancer. And so this researcher was going crazy saying, what is it? What is it? What is it? And he finally narrowed it down to the magnesium. And he said there was still magnesium in the soil, which got transmitted into the plants with people ate and in the meat. And he made the claim that it was a lot of magnesium. And I believe this all day long. My life changed just from simply taking magnesium. My fingers were locking up. Um, I was having skin problems on my knuckles. As soon as I started taking magnesium, all that went away. And so Amanda Bulmer, Clive, a few people recognized this is magnesium related. We don't have it in our food chain anymore. But the other thing I was going to mention with regard to community, I was watching the studies on the longest lived places in the world and where I spent a lot of time in Okinawa, Japan was one of them. And they narrowed it down to what they think is going on with the long lived. And I saw them. I saw people that looked like they're 120 and they were still working by the way, and still driving bikes to, to go garden and stuff. But what they said was the food, which is always comes down to the food at some level is natural and they grow it themselves and it's healthy. But one of the highest things they attributed was sense of community and family. And that is for the longest-lived people in the world. On in every community that has that,
2: my wife's grandfather's coming tomorrow. He's eighty-six. He still downhill skis, and you know, he, and a big part, a big part of longevity is also uh, curiosity. You know, like uh, that's why that this whole boot stomping on curious stuff, like oh, well, what, what's the firmament? Like what, what, it, like I, I've always been really well. The last few years, I've been really curious about. The not only the lies, but what is actually true. And that's one thing that drew me to your you guys' channel. And that actually keeps you young, where you're like, I'd start a new hobby, you know, like the mandolin for you guys, or like cheese making for me. That I see that in uh, Grandpa Jack, an 86-year-old man. He just started target shooting. He only has one eye, you know. It's like <laughs> downhill skiing, just totally loves life. He feels needed by his uh, great grandkids. Can't wait to teach him stuff and and, and I think that actually goes even greater than the nutri- nutrition and chemicals are a major problem, but purpose is also massive. Just that's one reason why I love milking animals. It's like I, I've i had some dark times, you know, when I was getting kicked out of Hollywood and stuff. And, you know, every morning I'd be like, but I I, I know I have to milk this goat or it's going to dry up. And, and that would put me in a good mood every day. And it's just something that simple. You know, a lot of times people... I heard this great quote that they don't see God because they don't look low enough,
0: <laughs> you know? You know, it's it's funny. Uh, what I've noticed, I've been around a lot of deaths since about 2005, and in the last two years, I guess I, I'll say I've been adjacent to a lot more death because I hear from people that I know. But one thing I noticed is the people who are getting ready to check out quickly, they begin to talk about needing to wrap up their affairs, clean up the house and get these things to somebody. And I think that speeds the death along. I really do. But I'll I'll mention this just because I think everyone should know it. So my mother had dementia and it got freaking bad to the point where the last bit of it, her body didn't know how to swallow anymore. So you're sitting there going crazy because you know she needs food and water, but you're afraid it's going to go into her lungs. I mean, it got bad during the course of all that. I realized the aluminum or I strongly suspect the aluminum is a big part of it. So what I did is I went into the kitchen one day and I said, I've had it. I've done this for seven years. I'm, I'm broke. I can't do anymore. And I started going through everything in the kitchen. She had this, one of these little pots and they're so freaking handy. You could fill that up like a, a quart, and it it boils the water in a minute. And I looked inside of it and I said, that's gotta be aluminum. That whole heating element inside this pot has to be aluminum. She used that thing for years. I said, that's it. It's out. So I go into my cooking pans. Dude, I'm throwing away 98%. Everything that wasn't inherited from my grandparents that was tin or something else was aluminum. And I started to think there's a conspiracy here. So I get it all together. And my sister's all, we're going to donate this. I said, we're not donating this to anyone. She's all, but it's still good. And I said, I think this is what happened to mom part of what happened to mom. So I'm saying this is going in the recycling. I go online and I start looking for pots and pans without aluminum. And let me tell you something, it's almost impossible where I am. Finally, I find a titanium cookware set, but even that the heating element has what they call encapsulated aluminum. So then I'm trying to figure out is encapsulated aluminum, you know, it's surrounded by titanium. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's much better. Anyhow, it's $1,200. How many people could freaking spend $1,200 to get cookware that's not aluminum? And I'm telling you that 90 something percent of everything I found listed on places like Amazon or other places that list cookware, it's 90% of it is aluminum. And so I just want to put that out there so people know, but I kind of took us off track.
2: Yeah. It's like Hunger Games. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like different districts could get different access and it all does boil down to money. It's like, uh, I think you were the one talking about Tesla's having different distances that they can drive or something.
0: Yeah. The, the battery tech is completely lockstep with the betters and the rest of us.
1: I want the battery tech that they used on the moon. That was some good shit.
0: <laughs> yeah. The best money could buy in the dark ages.
2: Yeah. And so that's why I'm trying to, one of the things, one of the reasons I'm so, uh, attacked and censored and, and people try and, you know, slander my name and stuff is because I, what I'm, uh, what I'm trying to teach people actually completely destroys that because like right now you go into a store and the food that doesn't kill you is way more expensive because the poor people, the people that aren't as economically viable to the beast, they have to eat stuff with, you know, things like aluminum in it because that way they are guaranteed to not uh, require pensions and support and all this, you know, it's all very cold. And so then the the people that have money can buy a four dollar tomato because you know that one actually has a little nutrition in it and they're allowed a little more life. But the the actual reality is you can get unlimited tomatoes for the price of seeds. Right. And so that's the biggest buzzkill to all this social engineering is. Because it all rests on lies. It's a lie built on a lie built on a lie. It's like Inception. It's like when you go so deep into the lies, you realize that it's all so fragile, and and the and the fragility of it is is based on on convincing people that family is a burden. You know that that if you have a baby, that's an economic burden. When in reality, family is wealth, and it's this and it's like that with nutrition. It's like Oh, these ignorant redneck farmers, they don't know anything when they have so much more information than most of these PhDs. And I know that both of my parents are PhDs. I was raised in academia and uh, I've learned so much more from just random farmers. They'll teach me about the nitrogen cycle and all this crazy stuff and how to, you know, uh, get rid of pests without chemicals and all this, this ancient knowledge that you can't learn in a school. And, And so, that's really what's happening is the answer to all these problems is actually free. It's basically free. And so, but they want people to go into that store and their inoculation schedule will be based on how long that people want them to live. And, and then based on how much money they have, uh, they can get their nutrition and it's so sick and sad and, and they won't, and you know, they're encouraged to not have any children and, you know, meets racist and
0: all media is doing that, by the way, how much mainstream media in the last 15, 20 years, like big bang theory, they did finally show that the characters having kids, but there's always the character says I'm having fun in my life. I'm not going to ruin it with kids. Exactly. And then the other people are, all, Oh my God, my life is over. I'm pregnant. There has been a big push to put the kibosh, but I'll tell you another thing. So remember the baby formula shortage, which I never yeah. would have known about unless someone told me, cause I don't watch the news. And I started thinking about it. What's up behind this? You know what I think is going on? The inoculation, they openly claimed, modified your DNA. Now we've gone down the road of what was done in the Supreme Court where modified DNA of, I think it was corn or some plant like that. They said, yeah, if you modified it with your private product, you can patent it. You can have a claim on that. Yeah. Hint, hint, hint. So getting over to the DNA thing, I suspect that they knew so many mothers had been inoculated, they didn't want them on formula because if they breastfed, then at some level the baby is inoculated. That's what I was thinking about.
2: Like 100 percent, dude, it's like my mom, I remember growing up, we had a bumper sticker when I was a real young kid. It said, uh, breastfeeding, ecology with love." And I got this I got this mentality from my mom. My mom used to look for really basic answers to big problems. You know, she was from that liberal college professor. Era, but she was from a farm. Her brother's a big hunter, you know, very salt of the earth. And so she was uh, a strong advocate for breastfeeding back when 5% of the population breastfed. And what she noticed was SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, which is now SADS, <laughs> sudden adult death syndrome. Obviously, we're not going to name what causes it in hour one, but it's pretty obvious. She realized that if you were breastfeeding, it didn't happen. It like breast milk, when a baby's breastfeeding, they get the, uh, they get so much nutrition from the mother that it had a way of washing it out. And, uh, and I think that you're right. I think that they, they don't want the the ultimate combination for a, a kill for a baby is, uh, a certain procedure and no breast milk. And so it's, it's so dark, but it, it's absolutely, there's, there's something to that. That's why I got a bunch of freeze dryers and I've been trying to freeze dry goat milk, uh, powder in case any mother wants that because that's the closest thing you can get to human milk is a uh, Nigerian dwarf goat milk. Mm. It's even, uh, it's, it's almost, you almost can't tell the difference. And obviously breast milk's better, but, uh, goat milk's way better than any of this Gerber bullshit. So that's something that my mom taught me. She's, you know, she taught me from a very young age that nutrition for babies is how people end up smart. I, I cause I had like an astronomical IQ. And looking back, I think a lot of it had to do with breast milk. I mean, how many, because it's all based on a curve and how many of my friends didn't, because back then it was seen as perverse in the (laughs) eighties. It was like no boobs in public. Yeah. My mom was part of the movement to legalize breastfeeding in public. My mom was, uh, you know, an activist in that. And so that's why she was one of the, uh, you know, when liberalism had a point, I would call it, (laughs) it's like, so I was exposed to a type of liberalism that actually was about results and about, um, you know, cause there was a patriarchy in the uh, hospital. Now, now the concept of patriarchy is crazy. Like even the, the organization she belonged to was called Lolache league. And my mom was one of the presidents of it. Cause you know, she stayed home with us, but still had a strong drive to be active. And now they're, they're pushing breastfeeding that, you know, men can do it and all this, insanity. And my mom like was really affected by that. And I told her that the good news is it's because they accomplished their job. And so now they have to invert, subvert and serve basically the devil. Uh, And, and so, but she did, she did win because my mom can get bummed out sometimes about what's happening in the world. And, and so I told her, I'm like, but mom, you won. Like back then there was a group of doctors that were trying to convince women that their breasts were not for feeding their babies and now that's over I don't know a single woman now that doesn't breastfeed their babies or at least attempts to some of them have uh, problems and need you know some help but I don't know any mothers that at this point that don't breastfeed and and breastfeeding lowers the the chance of getting breast cancer in moms by like 90 percent it's crazy
0: you know it's funny Owen and I hadn't really thought of it we've, t- we've talked so many times I grew up in PhD academia too, the education I got simply by living adjacent to my father exceeds any other education I've gotten anywhere. My vocabulary, my ability to not be fooled, that all comes from my father. My father used to look me dead in the eye and he was a very serious looking man. Very few people wanted to pick a fight with my father. And he would say something ridiculous that I absolutely shouldn't believe, but he'd look at me like, you better believe what I'm telling you is the truth. And I caught on and I caught on to, wait a minute, and I don't care what he looked like or I got to challenge this because he's either going to say, I got gotcha, you and laugh or I'm going to catch up. But I'm guessing most of your worthwhile learning happened in that environment. And for me, my, my dad did PhD dissertations. When I was 10 years old, there'd be a stack of potential dissertations on the end of the table, and he'd do things like, son, can you believe it? This guy wants a PhD, and he'd
2: read me something, and he'd say, can you tell me what's wrong with that? <laughs> I'm 10 years old. I had the same upbringing. My dad used to say, I didn't have a right to an uh, opinion unless I could argue the other side effectively. My dad said that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it used to be. I mean, my dad went a little crazy towards the end of his life, but, uh, there was a time when there was worthwhile things taught in college. Those days are over, but, uh, that upbringing was really helpful for me. He would read uh, papers too. And my dad taught communication studies. He taught, um, you know, rhetoric persuasion, basically my dad taught Al Roker. He taught Jerry Seinfeld. Like That's why I'm so good at breaking the spells is because I tell people, I'm like, my dad was basically Dumbledore at Hogwarts teaching wizards how to do wizardry before people realized how dangerous it was. And, and back then, I mean, you still could have figured it out if you really looked at like, you know, Tonkin and moon landing and stuff like that. But it it was a more innocent vibe where, you know, the news was trying to inform you and the president was trying to, you know, do good and and it was a different time, but he taught me all the tricks without realizing that I would then go on to show people how to get away from the tricks, where it really is spell casting. It's called broadcasting. Like, what do you cast? You cast spells, you know? You either cast spells or seeds, pick or choose. Good point. Broadcasting is a farming term, too. It's that's but like, for example, the laugh track is complete wizardry, where you'll show these heinous things on Big Bang and Seinfeld, and they'll, and if you take away the laugh track, it's like a, a horror movie. And so that laugh track was a way to uh, to soften up the herds, you know, it was a way to uh, to get people to think that they're the crazy one for not finding something horrible enjoyable.
0: It forces you to, to shut your brain down. Have you ever noticed that when you begin to pay attention to a laugh track, it is the most annoying thing in the world? So basically, if you're watching a show with a laugh track, you're front mind, your forward-facing mind just shuts it out. So your subconscious is absorbing all that. But that's a trick I taught people uh, about media. One of the earliest ways I learned to break the spell is ask the simple question, where's the cameraman? <laughs> Once you start watching something yeah. and you say, where's the cameraman? And then well, wait a minute, there's got to be three cameras for this shot. And the other thing is pay attention to the backtrack. And both of those things just undermine the power of that kind of spellcasting. casting.
1: I caught onto that laugh track thing uh, when I was a kid watching the Brady Bunch way back when I noticed how annoying it was. And it's what started turning me off to all of that.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and I, I think I, I don't know much about black magic, but I think if there is any black magic involved, one fact about the laugh track that it's really disturbing is uh, all the people laughing are dead. You know, they recorded all these laugh tracks decades ago. And they use the same laugh tracks. And I always wondered why didn't they record more new ones? And I think there might be some sinister magic there is. on there because there is. they're all dead. They're dead people laughing. It's all dead. So when you're, when you're watching, uh, you know, I can't believe uh, when you're watching Jerry Seinfeld, which is basically just four psychopaths making other people's lives miserable in New York city, you're listening to the sound of dead people laughing. And it's like, And when you shut your mind off, you're just like a sitting duck for all these uh, weird entities.
1: I'm not sure, but I think some of the laugh tracks might be synthetic, like they're actually generated.
2: Maybe. All I know is I've 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 worked on sitcoms and our sitcom didn't do that. We used an actual audience and there was a debate about that because they were like, oh no, we have the laugh tracks. And I, I learned from various editors that, oh no, these are people and they're all dead. And I, and back then I was still kind of like a little more selfish and, and self-centered. Like I didn't really think about magic or anything like that, but looking back these little tidbits that I, I learned in Hollywood, I'm just like, why would they do that? Yeah. They definitely use synthetic. Like you can, there's, there's uh keyboards where you can press a button and it sounds like laughter. And I know they do that, but that makes it even worse. Like why are some shows still using dead people as laugh tracks? You know? Well, here's the thing, though,
0: and most people probably will never have caught on to this. I remember in San Diego, I think if I remember correctly, it was a Thursday night, and it was the final Seinfeld episodes. And we were in San Diego back then, and there's San Diego's a big city. We went out, there was nobody anywhere. Everyone was home watching Seinfeld. So in the final episode, the judge, the last thing that happens is the judge sentences them, and he's basically telling the country that wasted their lives watching these perverse characters be horrible people. Uh, He was passing judgment on all of us. Go back sometime, look up on YouTube what the judge says. Who was Art Vandalay, by the way, uh, which was George's lie that he told the whole way through. The point is when he passes sentence, he's passing it on us. And if you get your mind switched around, and this is the other problem with media in that way, because most people never would have realized what I just said, but your subconscious caught it or take Marvel. So I knew instantly when I was told there was a movie called Endgame coming up. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, Jason and I were probably all over it before the fact because I knew. But the very opening of that tells you what you've got to do and what's about to happen. It opens up on the point of an arrow. There's your inoculation allegory. You're looking at the tip of a thing that will jab you. And he's teaching his daughter to shoot. And he says, don't shoot, don't shoot or something like that. He says, find where you want to be. Now let's worry how to get there. After, And she, she basically disappears, by the way, after she takes the shot. Then the family is gone. So then it goes into... The song, Mr. Fantasy from, I think it's Traffic, maybe 67. And they play the song, Mr. Fantasy. And then all of a sudden, Iron Man's in space and he's playing that fake football game where you have folded paper. And he basically says, nope, nope, nope. You don't have to do that. Just hold your position. They are completely directing you into what's about to happen. And most people miss this aspect because picking up on all this. That's fascinating. I never even thought of it. When you can get to a point where you remove yourself from being entertained, which is easy if you want to remember what that word means, it gives you a leg to stand on. Do you want your mind held for the next two hours, or do you want to see what's actually being communicated? Jason, I think it was Jason brought to the table, the the Slaughtered Pigs was a soundtrack on some kid's game where they're shooting.
1: Oh, Clint Richardson. Yeah. Yeah, go. Well, that's what made him leave doing the, the sound processing for video games. Is what he did. He was horrified at what he was doing. So it, what's, it's what made him leave the industry.
2: What happened? Like what, what slaughtered pigs?
1: He was recording the sound of slaughtered pigs and it was used in, I forget which one of the games, like Doom or Resident Evil. One of those more famous types up. way back when. And it was processed and used as demon screams or something to that effect. And it horrified him.
2: Whoa.
0: Think That's about crazy. children with earphones on, absorbed in a game, hearing pigs being slaughtered. Oh. I mean, I mean you, it's the same idea that you just put forth. Why are they using dead people's laughs? But what's even worse, and this is wrapped up in the end of Seinfeld, the judge walks in and how could it possibly be? He's Art Vandalay? George had been lying his whole life because he's a liar. And Art Vandalay was one of the lies he liked to tell. And all of a sudden there's the judge come to real life except Art Vandele is now the judge and he's about to make a decision on all of America. And he looks into the camera and he passes judgment on all the people that sat there and watched
2: all that. What did he say to the people? Like, what was the judgment? So he's all, I don't know
0: how... More despicable people all got together. Um, the fact that all this time you've been together was a complete and utter waste of a lifetime, and I'm going to sentence you to jail. I don't know the exact wording, but if you go look up on YouTube the the judge passing the last verdict at the very last finale of Seinfeld, you'll get if you pay attention to the words, you'll see what I'm saying. He's passing judgment on America, by the way. Wow. And and the rest of it is ancillary. And people had a beef with the end of that, but. I'm just saying. And what did they do? They basically watched a heavy man get mugged and they sat there and laughed as it happened and videotaped it. There's so much. The thing about Seinfeld, if you notice, is first of all, he was trying to normalize to some degree being Jewish because there's been so much bigotry around that, which is also manufactured bigotry to some degree.
2: But it's also godless Jewishness.
0: Well, here's the thing. On any given episode, there's typically three storylines. So it's actually like it was billed as a as, as a show about nothing. It wasn't about nothing. It was never about nothing. It seemed to be banal. Oh, that button's in the wrong place, or whatever they're saying. But there's actually, typically, at least three storylines playing off each other. And I, I wish I, I I just don't remember now. But I oh, how about the one where everyone who hears the song from the Eagles goes into a daydream. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then Elaine goes, "Well, I'll bring up this song, Witchy Woman." Totally tipping the hand. They're making fun because you, you've had a spell cast on you by certain songs. It's like, why is Hotel California that? Why is Stairway to Heaven that? It's because they are slightly different. These songs that took over everything. But at the end, there's a surgeon cutting someone open, and a song comes on the radio, and he goes into a daydream with the scalpel in his hand, and everyone laughs.
2: Oh, that's so dark. I mean, there's been ones where a guy's stalking Elaine and has her cornered and there's pictures of her all over his room and it's laughing as a woman is about to be assaulted. And it's just right. like, there's so many of them like that.
0: The JFK one. What about the JFK one, Owen? Did you ever see that where in in the Seinfeld, a ball player gets spit on or something, but they're just totally making fun of the false nature of the JFK assassination.
2: Oh, yeah. And also like the, the soup Nazi that everyone, uh, thought was so funny. That was actually the story of, of three or four really evil people that put a good businessman out of work. I mean, all he asked them to do was just to follow the rules of his soup and they stole it. They tried to ruin him. They, they, they did end up, uh, ruining him. Elaine tried to use sexuality. George tried to wear him down. You know, it, it was like watching a good, businessman who's like, you know, if if you ask, like, just follow the rules and you'll get the soup and they couldn't follow the rules. And so they ruined them. And it was like, it, it was very, very demonic. You're hitting on one of the key
0: points of why media can be so damaging because in a normal world, we should not be rooting for those types of characters. But now look at all the movies. You're constantly rooting for a person who's just a nightmare Um, But you want them to come out because of the way the story has been crafted. You become invested in the character. To be invested in a character, you have to relate to them on some level. So in a way, that despicable character has lowered you into relating and sympathizing and then rooting for them as they kill a town or whatever it is they're doing. But I think we're getting close to the top of the hour. And I should have asked you this up front. Where can people find you these days, Owen? I know you've been booted off almost uh, every saloon in town.
2: Yeah, well, I I made my own saloon, which is pretty cool. Uh, Unauthorized.tv is uh, where all my streams are from the beginning. That's uh, our own site. It's a paid site. Uh, But we are also, for the time being, still on Odyssey and bitshoot.com slash Owen Benjamin, if you want to just watch my streams and see if you like them. Um, Owenbenjamin.com and then app.baritaretimes.com. And all the great uh, bear creators, we we put them all on unbearablesmedia.com where you have Mountain Bear and Anchor Bear and Hometown Bear and Be Grateful Bear and all these people that make these brilliant songs and cartoons. I mean, so funny. And so I think that's one of the things why the community is thriving so much is I don't have that uh, alpha mentality of, like, uh, I have to be the funniest one or I have to uh, – Yeah, You know, if if anyone challenges me, then I have to destroy them. I'm the exact opposite.
0: Actually, you took that pretty well because I set you up and I never told you I set you up. I challenged you to a comedy off. Do you remember? I don't remember. No, what, what happened? One of the first times I was on with you, I challenged you to a comedy off. And I said, what do you call a guy with norms? No legs?" you know, that kind of comedy. But the fact is I was prepared with three or four good ones. And I just called you out on the spot and you you were totally good with it. And I've been meaning to tell you that you were set up by the way. The only reason I beat you at comedy is because I came in with material.
2: (laughs) Well, that's the, well, that's the beauty of it is I genuinely love comedy. It's not an ego thing for me. And, And that's, I think that's one reason why the bear community is doing so well is, uh, if somebody shows greatness, I'm all about it. And sometimes, uh, because I've thought a lot about, uh, hierarchies and how they work, you know, alpha, Bravo, gamma, Delta, mega, like all this stuff. And, uh, because I, am I've been very curious cause I don't actually have a ton of alpha tendencies when it comes to, uh, feeling threatened or, or any of this other stuff or wanting to control or any of this stuff. And so, uh, I think I'm more of a bravo. I think I'm more of like the, a type of guy that likes when someone else has the plan and takes the lead. And it just so happens that you know, so many of the alphas in entertainment are are horrible. And so I kind of had to make this stuff, but I'm really not like uh, you know, it's not all about me at all to the point where I love highlighting other creators and that's why uh, Unbearable's media is extremely enjoyable and it's free if anybody wants to go. And also, you can watch my documentaries at buildingbertaria.com where we showed the whole process of uh, crowdfunding a campground and building cordwood cabins. And it's, it's really enjoyable to watch. All right. So, Jason, anything you want to get in before we begin to wrap up hour one?
1: Since we are in hour one, I wanted to take a moment to mention that uh, something we were talking about before we jumped on was uh, another comedian named Jim Brewer seems to really be getting it big time. Yeah, he's
2: awesome. He's awesome.
1: You know, maybe you guys should get together and do the Common Sense Tour or something.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. We've, we talk a lot. He's, uh, he's great, man. We did that interview on his channel recently, and uh, his, he just released a self-produced special, which is always what draws the ire of the beast. So, um, Because the whole thing's about Monopoly. You know, it's like Hollywood doesn't want competition. As Rockefeller said, the only sin is competition. And, you know, they'll they'll call you every name in the book when you figure out a way around them. And so, but the best comedy comes out that way. Like Jim Brewer has this epic new joke about a certain medical procedure that just happened. And that would never, ever be allowed on Netflix or Comedy Central or anything like that.
0: Who is Jim Brewer? I'm sorry, old man shakes his fist at cloud. Who is Jim Brewer?
2: He was on SNL. He was on uh, the movie. Uh, um, uh, oh, is what's... he is he goat boy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK. I thought I recognized I, I
0: was thinking he was a rock and roller for some reason.
2: Yeah. And he showed the side by side of Dave Chappelle doing my jokes, which was massive because he was in a movie with Dave Chappelle. I mean, he was in a uh, what's that called? That movie about marijuana. It was uh why am I blanking? I can't remember. It was. He was like the main character in the, fir- in the big Dave Chappelle movie, <sighs> too high or something about weed. But that was really, really vindicating for me. And, and I really appreciate that he did that because Dave Chappelle did do my joke word for word. It's a five minute joke. And I was kicked off of PayPal, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. It's about, um, you know, a certain agenda happening with uh, letters that don't seem to make a lot of sense.
0: I saw it, Owen. And there's no, you can't argue. That was a direct, there's the complexity of your original joke proves that that was lifted from you.
2: Yeah. And then not only was it lifted, he got all this acclaim for, oh, he's going to, he's going to challenge woke culture, but he didn't. He actually, I've done breakdowns of it where he actually was still normalizing it, even though he used the meat of my joke. Cause the the dark path can't create. I've noticed that. Like once you sell out, like once you say, I will speak the words you want, master, and you give me money and lollipops, perfect. Once people do that, they, they can no longer create. So what they do is they find people like me and they take the creation, which I'm I'm starting to get pretty trippy about this. I don't even think I'm, I'm just, I really think you like dip a cup into the Akashic record somehow because- I don't know where this stuff is even coming from. I got a story for the next hour about this cartoon I'm thinking of. And like, you start writing something, you realize there's, it's already everywhere. I don't know. I'll tell you the story in a second, but, but so they take what we make and then they make it dark and weird and they keep doing it. I've had no less than five jokes, major jokes taken and put on comedy central and Netflix in the last two years because all my specials are now banned. So there's no way for me to defend myself, but, in the end of the day, I'm living a much better life than they are. So I don't, I I care on my honor level, like pride level, but I wouldn't trade my life for theirs. I mean, I have four little kids. I live on a farm. Like I'm, everybody around me is awesome. Like I, like when you sell out, you got to give out, you got to kind of give up all the good stuff in life, you know? Well, you went
0: back to the creation. Yeah. So, So half of the picture, it's like science and religion right? The dude in the white lab coat will call religion poppycock. And the guy with the priest collar will call science poppycock. The truth is, is there two halves of a whole, which is why neither one quite works on its own. So when you go back to the creation, see that there's no lie there. And if you choose to live, as I know you're living, it becomes the measuring rod for everything. And it also becomes the boundary. Nature doesn't provide beyond this. I don't go beyond this. It's the reality. It's the spirituality brought back into the kind of technical modern life. But that does bring us to the top of the first hour. So I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to open up with the cartoon in hour two. Uh, There is hour one of episode 424.5 with Jason Lindgren and Owen Benjamin. Hour one is free to everyone. Hour two is at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And that second hour of the full show is there for members. And I would like to wish everybody listening in the entire world a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.